Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night share, and of course, we mean weekly, Baruch Hashem, every week. This week's Shabbos, Pashas Baha'u'llah Yitzcho. We have a few Baruch Hashem Mazatov shout outs. Firstly, of course, to uh, Our dear friend, Cheskel, Terry, and Rebecca Oved, on the birth of their baby girl, Sophia Bracha. She gives them a lot of nachat, joy, happiness. She brings unity to the family. They should have the gadla, the teira, the chupa, the maizim teivim. Also, in honor of the 35 years tonight. I'd like to um, wish her a foolish name to our dear friend Robert. We should get better soon so he can rejoin us this year. Fortunately, he cannot join us tonight on Skype for health reasons. Soon, soon. We'll be back on track. Sigur says, Bob Sivan, the day that the Friedrich Rebbe arrived in America. And when the Friedrich Rebbe was greeted by the port of New York, he arrived, he put on his big day Shabbos, his holy garments, for Shabbat. And of course, with his beard and the uh, rabbinical committee that greeted him said America is Andrish America is different we don't go dressed like this we don't act like this we don't behave like this and the Rebbe said in the no uncertain terms America is nicht Andrish America is not different than anywhere else in the world and a Jew needs to behave always like a proper Jew Beautiful parasha, Pashbalis, huh? But full of bewilderment, questions that at least they keep me thinking, they keep me off on my toes. <coughs> Sorry. The parasha begins. Of course, referring to the mitzvah that Aaron Akkadian was granted. And the beginning of the parasha tells us, I'd like to locate the actual Rashi. The first Rashi of the Pasha asks a question. Why is the Pasha's Hamanera mentioned next to the Pasha's Hanasim, which is the previous Pasha talking about all the heads of tribes, of each tribe, bringing sacrifices for the renewal of the, for the dedication of the Mishkan? And Rashi answers the question. When Aaron saw how each Nasi of every tribe came and made something, a contribution to the dedication, there we go. Welcome back. When I'm discussing the first Rashi of the Pasha for those who just joined. When Arnakayan saw that all the Nasim merited to bring something for the dedication of the Mishkan, says Rashi. He got weakened. He was affected. He was not with them. 
Shivtoi. Neither him nor his shevet, nor his tribe. Amalei HaKadosh Baruch the Almighty says to Aaron HaKayin, when he sees the anguish he's going to, going through, what you're going to do is greater than what they do. For you will light, clean the candles. This is Swiss cheese to us. To me at least. Rashi here is Swiss cheese. And interesting. All the Nisim came and brought a carbon, a sacrifice. And they came running now to make sure they did something quickly because, as we know, that the last time they tried to donate, everything was donated already. So now when they came from these last donations, they were the first. The Nisim, each Nasi represented one tribe, and he brought a sacrifice. And the Torah in Pashas Nasai enumerates each one exactly what the sacrifice was. The representative, the head of the tribe of, uh, of Levi was Aranakayan. Aranakayan was not asked to bring a sacrifice, he was not offered to bring a sacrifice. Rather, when everything was done, they were ready to start the regular program. Rashi doesn't tell us stories. Rashi, as we said many times, doesn't look to give us in-depth explanations. Rashi says, the Mishnah says in Pekeyoves, Ben Chomesh the Mikra, at five the child needs to start learning Pesach of Tera. Today's days, they say that after five years of preschool, the five-year-old child learns the Pasha. And of course, the first question that comes to his mind, Lama Nismecha. What does Bahalais Chasaneris have to do with Pasha's Nasai? What does the Meneira have to do with the Nasiim bringing their Kabanis? Rashi says, the simple answer to your question, my child, is because Aaron also wanted to participate. That would have been sufficient for the words of Rashi, especially since Rashi was a specialist in minimizing his words. Rashi was very careful to explain things in the minimal amount of words. Why then does Rashi elaborate, thank you, at such great length and tell us that would be sufficient. He saw everybody else doing it, so he did it. But Rashi goes further and says, He was affected from it. He was weakened. He was not with them. Not only himself, and not his shevet. Aaron was a living example of kindness, of peace, of truth. Now, Aaron's life mission was to keep peace amongst people. And we've discussed once that Aaron's master plan, when he heard two people were in a dispute, or in an argument, in a fight of any sort, he immediately ran to the first fellow, to Reuven, and said, you know, I heard Shimon talking, and he's really upset, he wants to make peace with you. And then he would turn around and run to Shimon and tell Shimon, I heard that Reuven was saying he's really upset about this fight and wants to make peace with you. Get some cups, please. No, not in the mood. Wow. 
when Reuven heard about Shimon, and Shimon heard about Reuven, it jarred their hearts. Thank you. And when it jarred their heart, they decided, I got to really make peace. I hear what he's saying, and if this is indeed true, I have to make peace. And each one thought about the other one, was remorseful what the other one was going through, and therefore they hugged and made up. Now, Aaron was taking a chance. What happens if Ruin goes and asks Shimon, did you ever say that you wanted to make up? Or vice versa? What happens if Ruin tells, tells Aaron, you know what? I don't care if he wants to make up. I don't want to make up with him. And he already told Shimon the other thing. Then what would be? Aaron had faith. He had faith that Dvarim Shiyotim and Alev and Alev. He spoke from his heart. And he knew if he spoke from his heart, it would penetrate the other's heart. And by penetrating the other's heart, he would definitely accomplish that one would ask the other forgiveness. The peace would be made. And Aaron knew that this was his mission, his life mission. Aaron knew that this is what Hashem wanted. And this way he brought people closer to God. So he was a man of God that had total faith in God. Where does it come to Aaron? The expression... He became weakened. Not just his heart. Not just his emotion. His mind. Did this God forbid affect his belief in God? What, what went on? What transpired here? So Rashi says, my dear child, read the whole thing. Don't take out of text, out of context. He was not, he was not with the other Nesim, Bachanukah, not his whole tribe. For himself, Aaron was not concerned. For his own ego, Aaron's ego was not affected. What was affected here? The emotions, the well-being, the feelings of the people of his tribe. What? do they feel like? Are they let down? Are they forlorn? Are they forsaken? Do they feel like they're forlorn and forsaken? He was hurting for his fellow Jew. Yes, it was not him as well, but that's not what hurt. It was Shiftai. He was concerned and hurting for his fellow tribesmen. For the people of Shevet Levi, he knew very well. From his people, Shevet Levi, comes the Kahanim and the Levim. They will be the only ones that will do the service in the Beis Hamikdash. The Kahanim will do all the, the spraying of the blood and the bringing the sacrifices, etc., etc. And the Levim stood and sang the song on the fifteen steps. They were the musicians in the choir. So he knew they had a very, very prominent position in the temple. But, 
for a moment now, for a mere moment, seeing the dedication being done by every tribe and none being represented by them, he was worried this would hurt, this would somewhat affect. And therefore, Chol Shazdaiti. He was affected, his das was affected, because he was always thinking about a fellow Jew, he was always thinking how to help, and how to alleviate pain, how to make it better for a fellow Jew, to bring them closer. His thought was clouded, slightly, knowing that Jews were in pain, and he did not have a solution. Until the ultimate solution, the lighting of the Menorah comes through. And not only, is that a solution? Kayecho! I swear to you, says God, you, with your dedication, what you're going to be doing is greater than everybody's. For you are lighting the Menorah. You keep me score at home. The Gemara Shabbos Chavbezim and Aleph. The Menorah. V'chila Eira Hitzarich. What was the Menorah lit for? For the light. Did we need the light of the Menorah in the Beis Hamikdash? That's why the Menorah was lit. No. The Menorah was lit, and the Menorah illuminated the entire world. The Menorah was a light that went out of the Beis Hamidosh and shone in the, throughout the entire world. This is what the Menorah did. And therefore says the Almighty, the Chayecha, that yours is greater and will be greater than anyone else's. For you are going to kindle. You're going to clean all the natives, all the candles. Each Jew is considered a candle. When the Pasik says, the Nadis did not just have to be lit, they had to wait, he had to stand there until the flame rose straight up. How does this affect the person? In Mishlei, the Pasik says, Neir Havaya Nishmas Adam. The candle of God is the Nishama of the person. The Nishama is called a Neir, a candle. And the Menorah has seven candles. For the soul is divided in seven. Seven ways of serving God. And this is reflected in the Sheva Midas, the seven attributes of Chesed, Gvurat, Tiferes, Netzachet, Yusayid, and Malchus. And therefore they were commanded to light seven candles. And the light, the shone El Mul In front. All seven attributes of the Neshama need to unite, become one in the Meneda, in one Meneda, which is a generalization of seven. And this is twofold. By helping another fellow Jew, physically, tzedakah pshuta, simple tzedakah. And thereby uniting, making one the entire Jewish nation. By being gamel chesed, 
physically to his friend, he recognizes that this is a person that he actually loves and feels for and is at peace with. And if you're keeping score at home, you can find this on Mesechtis Brachis Ches in the beginning, page 8, on the top of Omer Aleph and Rashi. And another thing, through helping each and every Jew physically, spiritually, through spreading of Teda, and through uniting again the Jews with the, Lord, the, the, the Almighty, as Yisrael, Yisrael, Teda, and David are one. Cool. And therefore, when Arnakein was given the mission of kindling the Meneda, of lighting the Meneda, he didn't just light a candle on top of a candelabra, but rather lit for the entire Jewish nation and illuminated the entire Jewish nation all at once. A very, another very integral part of this exparsha is the sacrifice of the Karim Pesach. Another very interesting story in life. The Jews are told to bring the Karim Pesach. Once the Karim Pesach was brought, there were several people, according to one opinion, they were carrying the bones of Yosef, according to one opinion, they buried the Makashish Eitzim, whatever, whoever these people were, they were Tomei Lenefesh. They were impure because they dealt with a dead body and they had to take time for purification. In turn, they did not, were not able to bring the Karim Pesach. So they approach Moshe Rabbeinu and they say to him two very famous words. Loma, Loma Nigora. Why are we any worse than anyone else? Why are we not allowed, why are we not meriting bringing the Karim Pesach? Because we were tummy? And at the time, they didn't just see Moshe in the mikveh. <laughs> they didn't meet Moshe for when he was taking a stroll with his wife Zipporah and the children going to pick up their local mon delivery. Moshe and Aaron were sitting together with Smedish. They were sitting and learning together. And these Yidin approached the table of these two holy, holy people. And they asked this question. They poised the question. Ah. Moshe was baffled. Aaron also. What do we answer you? Hashem didn't tell us in case someone can't bring the current basic what he should do. Hashem just said the current basic should be brought on this day. Imdu! Stand, says Moshe Rabbeinu to these people. And wait for Hashem's response. I'm going to ask Hashem right now. And let's hear how Hashem responds to your question. Moshe realized this was not a simple question. This was not a facetious question. It was not sarcastic. It was a sincere, heartfelt question. And since he did not know it yet, he knew by turning to Hashem and asking, Hashem would answer what to do. He said, you people, 
brought up this question with such sincerity stay here and hear what Hashem has to say and Hashem says to Moshe tell them a person who is impure and cannot bring the Karim Pesach on time there is a solution for you I'm going to make Pesach Sheni a second Pesach and so Yudalad Nisan is Pesach Rishin Yudalad Ir is Pesach Sheni where they will be able to bring their carbon. Obviously, it's after the first date, because it's only after the first date you know you didn't bring the first one. Sorry? Why a full month before? The person has to give time to become pure. Um, many different controversial times of what time when one needs to eat matzah and Pesach Sheni Yudalit as well by night is irrelevant right now it's not, rele- it's not irrelevant but not for right now but as much as they have a merit a schus for introducing this mitzvah, they caused problems. Problems of magnitude of the same amount, same size, same amount of problem as they did merit. What problem could there possibly be? We see throughout the 40 years in the desert the Eden do not bring another carbon Pesach. To which Hashem is very very upset with them. Granted they didn't get a commandment to do so. But Hashem had the question Where was that oomph? Where was the enthusiasm of those people that asked Lomani Gora? Why did they not ask? Why the next year, when Pesach came around and they were able to bring a carbon business, did they not ask? And so although they were not commanded to do so the entire 40 years until they entered into Israel again, the yearning that was not presented was problematic to Hashem. When we sit today in exile, the Gemara tells us that every day that the Beis HaMikdash is not built in your lifetime, It's as if the Beis Hamidrash was destroyed on that day. One needs to thrive and strive on a constant basis to see to it to bring Mashiach. To see to it that the temple, the holy temple of Beis Hamidrash, is rebuilt in Yerushalayim on Harabayas. And we need to do everything that's in our powers to do. And if we don't, it's as if the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed on that day. Where is the enthusiasm? A Jew in Golis in exile cannot sit complacently, cannot sit on their hands and say, okay, I give up. The Jew needs to see to it to constantly cry out Ad Mosai, constantly look 
so that he can find a reason, a solution, a way that Mashiach should come and we should not be subjected to another moment of this Golas Chasr Rabbi Moshe Feller in Minnesota once told a very interesting story. Actually, I can't say that. That's wrong. Has told many interesting stories many times. One of his very interesting stories that he told was to a group of shluchim, or a board of rabbis. So there was a wedding going on in Minnesota. And this interesting couple came over to him. And they said to him, they would like to get married, but not right now. He says, why not? She's not ready. Mm-hmm. In what way is she not ready? Well, actually, she's not Jewish. And she wants to convert. So my fellow said, obviously this is not a place, time for it. Come later with my office and we'll sit and discuss. And they came to his office and she told him that when they found out, when they got engaged and her father, her her boy's father, parents found out, although they are totally not observant Jews, they said that can't happen. You can't marry out, you can't marry an Anjou. But we love each other. So you can love each other, but if you're not Jewish, you can't marry him. She has to become Jewish. So they investigated. They found out there's a thing called conversion. One can convert to Judaism. So they said, okay. So she looked into the conversion process. Of course, being a non-religious family... They pointed her to the Reformed Temple. And she said, that's ridiculous. If I'm going to change my lifestyle, how can I change my lifestyle? It shouldn't look different than it did before. In what way has it changed? And I, no. you got to find something easier. you got to find something more sincere something of more severity. And she said the conservative is not much better, so she said, okay, i got to find out what Orthodox is all about. And she said, here I am, Rabbi Feller. I am looking to convert Orthodoxy. Well, Rabbi Feller said, i got to be honest with you, I don't do those conversions here. You would have to go study in Chicago, under the Chicago Rabbinical Council, which is not far from Minnesota. And um, I must tell you, it's rigorous. I must tell you, it's restricting. I must tell you, it deters a lot of things in your lifestyle. It will change a lot of things in your lifestyle. It will change a lot of ways, a lot of things in your way of thinking. And it will probably take at least a year. And she says, I'm in. Where do I sign up? <laughs> That's serious stuff. She's really serious. So my fellow said, he arranged to send her off to Chicago and arranged classes for her. Classes were beautiful. She was so, so inspired. She was so gravitating soaking up the beautiful Jewish traditions it was amazing to her it was beautiful then she met her husband her groom and she said you know a little issue here I don't understand. In the studies, I heard that mitzvahs 
Torah tells us of mitzvahs. Mitzvahs for men, mitzvahs for women. And mitzvahs for both. For example, I heard a mitzvah for a man that he has to wear tefillin every day. I see there's a mitzvah for both in the Ten Commandments, keeping Shabbos. Mitzvah to keep kosher. She says to him, to her fiancé, how come you don't do any of this? And he says, listen, understand, it's outdated. It's all textbook. But that's not how we actually live our lives today. We're fine the way it is, don't worry about it. You just study it, learn it all, pass the test, and we're good to go. And she said, no. Mm-hmm. No, this is not how it works. That's not what terror stands for. And obviously, inevitably, argument ensued. And they broke up. They broke up their engagement, but they didn't break up her determination. She was now on track and determined to become Jewish. So the months lingered on. And this girl didn't miss a course. She didn't miss a minute of it. She was soaking it in. She was basking in the words of Tera, this light of Tera. And it came the end of the course, and she was able to really sincerely prove herself, to answer all the questions asked to her. The final part is immersion in the mikveh. It's not like baptism at all. The woman goes into the mikveh and makes a bracha. She makes a special blessing. Three rabbis are present outside the room. And there's usually a woman inside the room to attest to the fact that she goes under the water totally. Three times. At which point, the woman tells the rabbis that yes, it was done right, the rabbis declare her Jewish. And so this woman dips, makes a bracha, the rabbis make the declaration, and suddenly they hear screaming from the room screaming hysterical, hysterical, and they get very scared and very nervous. And they run to the door to listen what's screaming. And they hear her screaming in excitement on top of her lungs. I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. The excitement, the vigor that she experienced at that moment, that she was now a true Jew. This is a feeling that each and every one of us has to have every morning when we say a prayer that is so holy that even all the impurities of overnight do not affect it. Prior to washing our hands one says the words I praise, I confess to you, King, forever existing. You return to me, my soul, my eternal soul. Turn it to me. Passion, how great is your glory. This is said every single morning by every Jew. As we open our eyes. Before we get off our bed. Mm -hmm. 
before we wash our hands. Because we are so happy and so proud that we are Jewish. Let us now go back to what we were discussing. Loma Nigora. Let's first discuss the carbon of Pesach itself. The Jews made the carbon Pesach in the right time. Last week we had a discussion. Shevet Ephraim brought on the seventh day the carbon. Seventh day was Shabbos. And this was a reward to Yosef, who is the father of Ephraim, who kept Shabbos before the Torah was given. The Sifri on the carbon Pesach says, Lomad Rabbi Shaya, the Pesach Zeh, he learns from Vayasu when he says, the Pesach Bimay Adai, in its right time, Sheshchitas HaPesach Deicha Shabbos. The slaughtering of the Karim Pesach is Deicha, pushes away Shabbos. Mechol HaKol of Rabbi Yenison. Rabbi Yenison argued with him, Sarli, She'en Shkitas HaPesach Deicha Shabbos. And he holds, no, it's not Deicha Shabbos. Let us scrutinize what is their actual argument. Before that, we understand how the Karim Pesach was actually brought. On Arab Pesach, there's a tradition, since we are not actually bringing the actual Karim Pesach, it says it in the Haggad, it says in the Siddur, V'nishalma parim sifaseinu, we compensate for the oxen and for the sacrifices that were meant to be brought that are meant to be brought now with our lips we mention, we speak about we read about the actual sacrifice that was supposed to be brought and that's as if we are bringing the actual sacrifice so the say the Karim Pesach tells us that they even lined up in three groups the first group went in, they did their Karim Pesach, all the people of the group, group cannot be less than 30 people, 30 families, and after all the blood was thrown and everything was done, they left and the next group came in. Throughout, Kahanim sang, the Levinim sang Halil, and they repeated Halil. And if they needed to, a third time as well. As the second group finished, they left and the third group came in. So there were three groups in essence. So the question becomes, what was the carbon Pesach's status? Was it a carbon of a public? Or was it a private carbon? A private sacrifice? Each person had his own obligation, according to the Teda. Each and every Jew has to bring his own carbon pesach. You brought it with a chabura, yes, but you had to bring your. Each one is responsible. Each one had to chip in. So the main focus of this carbon, really, in essence, the carbon yachid. Although the group, as we said, brought it. The group that brought it had to have the money from everybody involved. It could not be taken from money that was in the temple already. There was certain money allotted for general karbanas, sacrifices that was brought for the nation. And that the people would use by the half, the half shekel they used to use to bring to count the Jews. This was not. This was paid for by the actual master, the owner. Also, eating of it had to be done by the actual people. On the other hand, we find that it falls into the category of a carbon tzibur. Because if you keep your score at home, Yomara Mesech Tezuma, Nun Aleph Amin Aleph tells us, Asibik Nufayet. Brought group and it was brought slaughtered in the kita. Bikahol, the group. 
Sholish Kitas, the Gemara says, if you keep me score at home, Sefer Psachim, Samach Dalit Amr Aleph Anamid Beis, 64 side A and B. Sholish Kitas, Chalachas Kohol. Each one, each Kita was called a Kohol. The congregation. When it comes to a Tzibur, a carbon Tzibur, a public carbon, there are two concepts. First is the actual Metzius of the Tzibur. When we come to Dabu, the Minyan, and as a Minyan, a quarter made up of ten people minimum, the Minyan is not ten people, but the Minyan is the ten people. The Tzibur is an entity of its own. Not each person is a separate entity, but rather the entire tzibur is considered one entity. Another way of counting a tzibur is each person is his own entity. And therefore, since there are many each people, the many each people constitute one group. Since the carbon Pesach falls into the gather of a carbon Yochid, and also the gather of a carbon Tzibur, because it has to be brought by a group, Dafka of 30, of minimum, and also it has to be, each person has his own obligation. So therefore the congregation part, the Tzibur, is not necessarily an entity of its own. So that the people don't become a separate entity, but they become one group. But it's rather put together by many, many different people. And therefore, it takes on a total different perspective. Now we understand, well, how we can understand that to explain the Machlekes of Rishayim and Renison. They argue about just this very point. Whether or not Karim Pesach could be Deich Shabbos, it depends on what you consider it. If it's a Karim Yachid or a Karim Tzibur. The Yemari Yishalmi tells us if you're keeping score, Pesachim, Perek Vav, Alach Aleph, in Yerushalmi, the Yemari Yerushalmi tells us, Heil v'tamid karbim tzibur, upesach karbim tzibur, since the karbim tamid is a karbim tzibur, and Pesach is a karbim tzibur, ma tamid karbim tzibur deich ha-shabbos, af Pesach karbim tzibur deich ha-shabbos. Just like the Karim Tamid is a public Karim, and therefore you'd bring it on Shabbos, so too the Karim Pesach has the same status. And since Karim Pesach, even though that's a Karim Tzibur, but still in all, it's a Tzibur, it's a group that only can be made up of each and every individual, <coughs> therefore one can say maybe it's a single. It's each person individual that constitutes this, but it's not it. It doesn't become an entity of its own. And therefore he wants to say, it's not Deich HaShabbos. Because it's not a Tzibur, and if it's not a carbon Tzibur, it's not Deich HaShabbos. And the Pasuk then continues to talk about carbon Pesach. V'yisha shehu tohir, v'yis tohir ki karbim Hashem, loy hikri v'meadai cheta yisa. If God forbid a person was able to bring the Karim Pesach and did not bring it, he has a sin. It's a grave sin. And the Gemara tells us, again, if he's keeping score at home, Pesachim, Tzadik Gimel Amid Beis, 93, side 2. A very interesting and relevant halacha to today, contemporary halacha. Gershon is Gayer. A convert. 
who converted Ben Shnei Psachim between, between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni. Vechein, and also, this is, happens very often time, Katn Shehigdul Ben Shnei Psachim. A boy who became Bar Mitzvah after the first Pesach, before the Pesach Sheni. Chayiv Lassus Pesach Sheni, they are obligated to Pesach Sheni. Divrei Rebbe, these are the words of Rebbe. Rebbe Nelson, Rebbe Nelson says, Kol Shazak Lishin, Zak Lisheni, Kol Shen Zak Lishin, Ein Zak Lisheni, if you were capable of bringing the first one, and for every reason you couldn't, then you bring the second. If you were not capable, because you were not Jewish, or because you were not a Godel yet, for the first one, then you cannot bring the second. And the Gemara explains the argument. Rebbe holds, that the Pesach Sheni is a Yomtif on its own, and Ebnosen holds it's a complement, it completes the first Karm, first Pesach. Let's delve into a little bit their Machlekes. The Gemara brings down the Machlekes is actually pending on the Pesach Yikar ben Hashem lehikri b'meyadei. Karm, the sacrifice of God that was not brought in its time. According to Rabbi Bimayade means its time is Pesach Sheni, till Pesach Sheni. According to Rabbi Nelson, Bimayade means Pesach Rishin. So according to this we understand. If you say that Bimayade means Pesach Rishin, so then when do you have to bring the carbon? Only Pesach Rishin. And you could make it up if you didn't, by whatever reason, do it the first, or you can make it up for the second. But not a separate entity. It's not a separate yom to Pesach Sheni. But if you say Bimayade means Pesach Sheni, so then to begin with, there's two times. Mayadim, the yom tevim, that a person is chayet in makru and then the karm Pesach. When are those times? Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni. Since you can't bring both, therefore you bring karm Pesach Rishon. And you don't bring again a Pesach Sheni. If, unfortunately, you are not able to bring a Pesach Rishon, therefore, Abnosen says, Gershon is Gaya B'Shnei Pesachim, does not bring a carbon Pesach and Pesach Sheni. Because by Pesach Rishon, he was not obligated, and therefore he does not have to make it up now. He's not being mashlim, because he didn't have to do it the first time. But according to Rebbe, who says that this is a Yom on its own, therefore he says that a Ger that converts in a child that becomes Bar Mitzvah, even if they were not obligated by when Pesach Rishon was brought around, Pesach Sheni they need to bring. Now we said before we're going to want to discuss the battle cry. The battle cry of the Jews, Loma Nigora. By Pesach Sheni, we see something very, very hafladik, as it's called. Bewondering, bewildering. The Cheda the Tvia, the looking for a good word for Tvia. It's really an ocean of money, and he comes to be Tevea by him. No, he's trying to bring out, he's trying to take out. Read this, this complaint, practically, of the people that could not bring carbon Pesach in the time was Lamanigara. This is a, a very interesting question. Because Mimanovshach, if the Almighty wanted them to bring Kaim the Mitzvah Karim Pesach, then the Almighty would have commanded Tamesh to begin with, tell them such and such. If Mesha didn't tell them anything to begin with, Then they don't have to be Mekai in the Mitzvah. 
So what are they coming with a complaint here? What are they coming to try to claim, put a claim to? We perhaps can say the explanation is as follows. When it comes to Yira Shemayim, the fear of God, the Gemara, if you keep your score at home, is Mesech, is Berach, is Lamed, Gimel, Lamed, Beis, 33, side 2. And the Gemara says, Hakal B'day Shemayim, Chutz, Mi'yir Shemayim. Everything is in the hands of heaven, except for the fear of heaven. <laughs> An escapee. Put an escapee here, midnight mass. Hakim with the Shemaim, Kutzmi the Shemaim. And we find that the Rotzain, the want of Hakadish Baruchu, and these things. The Almighty wants that a person should not rely everything on God and say, ah, God will do it. You need to do it as well. You need to put, apply yourself to it. If he feels he's lacking something in Yerushalayim, when he requests and he davens for this, that he should fear God, This yearning, this great yearning, <laughs> and this want for this, this will then be, fulfill, be fulfilled. And therefore, when they came and they were Tevea, and they begged and they requested, and they said, Lamani got up. Even though the Mesha did not command them to begin with, they needed to do this. But HaKadosh Baruch was Meqabal what they requested. And he added a part of the Teda, the Mitzvah of Pesach Sheni. And that's where we learn a tremendous, tremendous lesson. When a Jew feels that he's lacking something, and it has to do with connection to Teda and God, then they want, what does God want from him? Don't rely on anyone else. Not even Meishu Rabbeinu. Not even HaKadosh Baruch himself. But cry out and scream out. And demand. Like the Jews did by Lama Nigora. When HaKadosh Baruch sees how much we are yearning. How much we are calling out. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will fulfill accept and fulfill our Bakasha and we need to learn this we learn this from here how much a person needs to daven for the Gula Ashlema not to say HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when you're ready you'll take us out of Golas but when you get in Yonim like this HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants you to keep Banging the doors. Scream Ad Mosai. Scream when will this be already? That we'll be married. Yeah. We should be returned to Tzian. And this again coincides with the beginning of the Pasha. Chol Shodaitai. Arnakayan was directly affected. He was affected to such an extent that Cholsha, he became weakened. And by his weakened state, he cried out. And he said, Don't do this to me or to my nation, to my tribe. Don't leave us here. Don't desert us here. Show us that we too are connected. We too have our mission. And that's where Hashem answers 
Chayecho. I swear to you, says God, yours will be greater than theirs. Because when a Jew shows he really wants, when a Jew shows and cries out how important this is to him, there's nothing that stands in the way of the want of a person, or as they say in English, where there's a will, there's a relative, and our will should be though, that before this very Shabbos, before Yud Zayin Tev B'Chedesh, Yud Zayin Tev, before Tev B'Sivin, we should merit to the ultimate Tev, Tev Hanireva Hanigla, Eskalos Melech HaMashiach, in Yishalayim Erakedesh, Shabbat Shalom to all.